then we'll get going. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together as believers, as family, God, to be in your presence, to worship. God, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be found in good soil today, God. Thank you, Father. Father, if there's anything within us that is not of you, God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would expose it, that conviction would fall, repentance would come. Yes, Lord. Father, that we would be restored. Father, that we would act quickly. Father, we know that the hour is urgent. Yes. That the time is drawing near to the return. Jesus, when you will come again. Yes. To collect your bride. Yes. We thank you for that. May we be found pure and spotless. May we be found ready with oil in our lamps. Thank you. Prepare our hearts. May our roots grow down deep. May our eyes be focused upon you. May we be bold and courageous. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's go into our time of worship.
Jesus. God, that we have yet a new day before us, Lord. Filled with new mercies. Father, I thank you that you are on the throne. And that it doesn't matter how chaotic the world is. Father, your kingdom cannot be shaken. And I thank you that for those who are in Christ, have been engrafted into your kingdom, Father. That our position is in Christ. Oh, how I pray, God, that you would encourage your bride this day, Father. That we would be strengthened, equipped, and bold. Truly, God, the earth is getting darker and darker. Your church is to be burning brighter and brighter. So Holy Spirit, fan the flame within us. That we would be your light bearers. So we open your word today, Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cultivate the soul of our hearts to be a good soul to receive. That your word would be firmly planted and rooted within us, God, that our lives may bear lasting fruit. I pray for any that may be with us today or, Father, joining us via Facebook Live, Father, who may not be saved. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. We thank you, God. We thank you that your word is alive and active. I pray, God, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit for conviction in our own hearts and lives, God, that we would continue to yield to your leading, Father, and that we would continue to deny ourselves to pick up the cross and to follow you. Have your way, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, and good morning. Hallelujah. And welcome to anyone who's joining us. I don't know who's all online, but whoever's online, thank you for being with us this morning. All right, so Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You're going to harvest what you plant. And this has been our scripture for the year. If you remember, New Year's Eve service, I gave us this scripture and I challenged us with it. And I said, we're going to keep it before us. Every time we gather, we're going to remind ourselves of it. And I hope that you're really diligently seeking Christ each and every single day. What are you putting your hands to? Where are your feet leading you? What are your eyes gazing upon? What are you giving yourself to? Remember, don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. Remember in Proverbs when it says, As a man thinks, so he goes. As Christians, we are called to honor Christ in every word and every deed. And we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about the heart, the condition of the heart. And we talked last week, and maybe it was the week before, of the Word of God 
revealed to us, there's only two people on the face of this earth. There's either those who are being saved or those who are perishing. We're, we're, we're walking through the Bible and, and we're recognizing this, this understanding that God's plan from the beginning, and we see it through Genesis, through Revelation, that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. We've also talked about that it's not God stiff-arming man. It's man stiff-arming God saying, no, you're not God. You see, God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son Jesus. The Apostle Paul even said, the gospel in which I preach, man did not teach it to me, but God was pleased to reveal Himself to me through His Son Jesus. Oh, that we would be awakened in the hour in which we are living in. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And oh, how we are in a desperate time for the church to be the church. To throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. To live honorable lives that we would think of others before we think of ourselves that we would be diligent in our responsibilities, that we would honor Christ continually. It's time to really seek after the Lord. We don't want to harvest things that are going to decay. That's why we've got to stop sowing, stop sowing to the temporalness of life. We've got to stop giving in to the, the chaos of, the, of life. No, we've got to keep our eyes set and fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That we recognize that we are in a place of victory, that you're not a victim any longer. Christ has set us free. If you are in Christ, you have been set free. You have a newness coming from you. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are being made new. I want us to go today to 1 John. Before we start walking through our scriptures, I want us to go to 1 John. And as we're hearing the words of 1 John, I want us to think upon our scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Harvesting what you plant. 1 John, this, the purpose of him writing this was to instruct believers in their Christian walk. And even before I begin to read 1 John, I want to throw out these two words to you. I've been thinking upon these two words throughout the week. The week. Rebellion. I want you to hear the definition. An act of violent or open resistance to an established form of government or ruler. And then the second word is surrender. Cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. You're either rebelling against God or you have accepted Christ and you have surrendered freely to His authority. There is a way in which we are called to live. Not because man says it, 
but because God has established it. It is not burdensome. No, remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so we are not called to remain rebellious. It's the ways of the flesh. That's the old man. That's the old woman. And the new creation as the new man, as the new woman, we're in Christ. We have surrendered. We have submitted to His authority. And so 1 John begins, and we're going to read the whole portion of 1 John, chapters 1 and 5. We proclaim to you the One who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw Him with our own eyes and touched Him with our own hands. He is the Word of life. This One who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen Him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that He is the One, look at this, who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is a message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. And there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us, look at this, from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are claiming God is a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world, and the church should be able to say amen. Listen to the word that is being read this morning. Listen to the good news that is found within these words, within this letter. Listen to how, yet again, we are getting a clear understanding of who Jesus is. Remember, God is pleased to reveal Himself to you through His Son Jesus so that you will not continue to be a slave to sin, but that you can be transformed, born again, to be a slave to righteousness. All because of Christ. Not because of you. Not because of anything that you can do. It's not works-based. No, it's Christ-based. It's all Christ. 
It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And listen to how John is proclaiming this truth. Jesus. And we can't continue to claim Jesus and continue to walk in spiritual darkness. How you, what you plant, you will sow. You will harvest. How are you living your life? Your life should not be defined by your sins. <laughs> your life is to be defined by your Lord, Jesus. If you're a Christian... And I love the fact that it doesn't say that we will not sin, but it says when, if when we do, remember you have an advocate. I love this picture of repentance. I love when the Bible tells us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. To continue to persevere and to run the race that is set before us. I love the fact that the Word of God encourages us that He makes every crooked path straight. That He makes a way out of every temptation. That He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. Are you honoring Christ with your life? Especially in today's age. and this generation. And the days that are to come. I told you all, and I've been encouraging us for years, Christianity is not going to be popular. It's not going to be well accepted, the true gospel. And we as Christians have to be diligent daily to understand, as I've been encouraging us, that we're behind enemy lines. We cannot become familiar with the objects around us and the people around us. We don't belong to this world. But we're in the world to represent Christ in His kingdom. Are you kingdom minded? Are you kingdom living? Is Christ your all in all? The Word of God encourages us that if we walk habitually in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you hear the words that were read? <laughs> we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He goes on here. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. And we've been talking about that over the past few weeks as we're studying the Israelites <laughs> In the book of Deuteronomy. And I've encouraged us. Listen, in the Old Testament, there are all certain laws and certain, and certain requirements that were just for Israel. But there's also the call to holiness that's just not for Israel, but for the church. And we read the Old Testament to, 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 to see Christ in it. Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And as it was then, so it is now. The number one commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. Are you loving Jesus? Because He can transform your life. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God first loved us. He understood our condition. He understood that we were in rebellion towards Him, and yet He came. And that's why when the Word of God says and reminds us that Jesus didn't come come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, because the world already stands condemned. His wrath is coming. And that's why we must be diligent to warn others to share the good news, to share the hope that is in Christ. It's not time to cower in the corner. It's not time to remain silent. It's not time to look like the world to fit in. No, it's time to rise up and to stand and to advance forward. Move forward. Remember I told you last week, that's the progression of the Christian life, is moving forward. And remember, we're not striving to be perfect. Because we're not perfected until we are with Him. But in that understanding, that doesn't mean that we can just excuse the rebellion in our heart, the sin that we just easily run to. No, no, no. Again, we got to throw it off. we got to repent. we got to turn from it. Because yet, though it's not about perfection, it is about maturing. You ought to be maturing as a Christian. And I've been warning us over the past couple of years, if your Christian life is the same as it was yesterday, a year ago, three months ago, and there's no movement of forward, movement of forward, something's wrong. You cannot become stagnant. It is not time to become complacent. It is not time to cower in the corner and put the covers over your head. No, it's time to stand up and to rise up and to take ground for the kingdom of God. To love and to serve and to minister the truth of His gospel. The hope that we have, are you obeying His commandments? That has not changed. And yet you look at some sitting in the church and you think it would, It has. We've become lazy. We've allowed sin to run amok. And we're trampling His blood underneath our feet, making it so common, splashing it up on people, as if and we stripped it of its power. We've turned grace into something perverted. And we're just going along with the enemy and the false gospel. No, it's time to turn and repent and to get right and to fill our lamps with oil and prepare for our King to return. Are you living expecting Him to return? Don't let Him return and find you in bed with your many lovers. No, He should be your all in all. Jesus Himself said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not obey what I've commanded? That's what I've been encouraging in you all. Last week when I said, Are you in church or are you in Christ? Because if you're just in church, you just have a form of religion, and you're going to hell just like the lost. Your form of religion, your religious duties, does not bring forth salvation. Only Christ. And I'm afraid there's too many people sitting in church and they're not in Christ. And I keep warning us what the Bible says. Do you know the people that we're not to have anything to do with? It's not the lost. 
No, it's those who claim to be believers and yet only hold a form of religion and deny his power. We're to have nothing to do with him. The church has neglected church discipline. We're trying to cultivate an atmosphere to bring into the world to allow them to remain the world within the church's walls. And what kind of chaos is that? We cannot lose our identity in order to satisfy the needs of the temporal wicked people. Because that's how we once lived. That's who we once were. But now we are in Christ. Listen to as John's letter continues. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God, look at this, underline it, highlight it, circle it, go back and meditate upon this verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There's your standard. That is what's lifted up to the church. This is how you should be harvesting. I mean, planting, so that you would harvest that which is true, that which is right, that which is pure, that which is holy. Live as Jesus did. Are you being discipled? Are you growing? Are you maturing? If all you're getting is Sunday's word, it's not enough to carry you through. If it's going to fall on the wrong soil, it's going to be snatched and it's going to be choked out. Now you got to get rooted. you got to get grounded. You think what's shaking now is shaking? What is to come is only going to get worse. And we can't keep cowering down. we got to get up. Each and every single day, we got to take a step forward. we got to minister hope. we got to minister truth. we got to serve. Dear friends, he goes on, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet, it is also new. Jesus lived this truth of this commandment, and you are also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in light and does not cause others to, look at this, stumble. Please highlight that, circle that, get that into your your knowledge bank. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light, and look at this, and does not cause others to stumble. Your Christian life, your witness, should not be causing others to stumble. They can't hear you say one thing about Jesus, and then the next thing they see you yoked to the temporal things of this world. Oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but I also love this. They see a divided heart. And that brings confusion. 
your lack of discipleship, your lack of knowledge, your lack of truth is hindering others growing. Again, they hear you talk about Jesus. They see your little Jesus posts. They hear your little Jesus prayers. But then they also see you yoked up with darkness. And how foolishness is that? We cannot continue to say we are in Christ when we know good and well we're not in Christ. We've got to be mindful. Again, it's not that you will not sin, but even if you do, those who are looking at your life, they should see what it means to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to repent, to get up and be restored. They should see the life being lived out. Not just an acknowledging of Christ and then yet still going your own way. They, they look at your life and they see no conviction. They see no genuine repentance. And when I say repentance, let's just really grasp that meaning. I'm talking about that genuine repentance. That God-fearing repentance. Not the ways of the world like, oops, I got caught. I'm sorry. But no, like, oh God, I feel the weight of conviction. Holy Spirit, forgive me, Lord. I do not want to live a life that, that grieves you. Thank you for repentance. Thank you that I am able to get up from where I've been. That there is now therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. That my past no longer has to define me. That I can continue to move forward. And then I'm able to look at others who have seen me fall and I can let them know what God is doing in my life. And I can ask them for forgiveness if I've wounded them or if I caused them to stumble because I do care about their growth. Again, we're not called to just go about our way, but we're called to go His way. He goes on, but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. He goes, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have, I, I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So it doesn't matter where you're at in your maturing progress in your Christian walk. The good news is, is Christ is your all in all. And do not love this world, 
nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But everyone or anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We cannot continue to yoke ourselves with the temporalness of life, trying to find our security and our our, our identity and the temporalness of life, rather it be relationships or rather it be possessions. See, that's the good news of Christ. We're not clinging tightly to people or to the things of this world. No, we are secure and whole in Christ. We have the peace of God that that goes beyond our comprehension when things are chaotic. People and things are going and fading away. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. But Christ should be our all in all. And we're not to love the world. Our love is for Christ. We're not seeking for status in the world. No, we're seeking for Christ. Dear children... The last hour is here. Think about that. This was written years ago. (laughs) And he himself then is telling us, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we, look at this, enjoy the eternal life He promised us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as He has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you will be full, look at this, of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are children of God. See how very much our Father loves us. For He has calls, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. 
Dear friends, we are already, I'm sorry, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we know that we will be like him, for we see him as he really is. And all who have, look at this, this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And now you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone, look at this, deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. Highlight that, circle that. Go back this week and meditate on that. Let that be the mirror that you look into. Those who have been born into God's family do not make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Jesus, and yet we're allowing everyone to flood into the body of Christ and saying, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Let's all just gather together and just continue to sing Kumbaya and march in towards heaven. And yet when they get, when they get there, they're going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of sin. We've lowered the standard. And yet God and the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to the church in this hour to raise the standard as God has said it. And we've got to understand not everybody wants to live for Jesus. And that's okay. That's their choice. We don't hate them. They're not our enemy. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the rulers and the air and the darkness. We understand the enemy's tactics. We understand that he's the, the, the liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's a thief. Even Jesus, when he was on this earth, he looked at the religious men who had a knowledge of God, but they weren't known of God. They were oppressing God's people. And then Jesus came. And he was very bold and direct with them. Your father is the devil. He didn't mince words. I know we all like the comfortable messages. Make us feel good. Make it about me. Tell me how God's going to bless me and bless me and bless me. Because isn't it just all about me? My wants, my desires, my will, my life? No, it's about Jesus. It's about His kingdom. It's about His purpose. It's about His power. 
It's all about Jesus. There's no gray area. You're either in Christ or you're not. You've either been saved or you're perishing. Oh, that you would come to Christ. Oh, that you would receive this free gift of salvation. Oh, that you will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Oh, that you would be rooted firmly in Christ. That you would have the expectant hope of His coming. That you would have the sheer joy even in the times of persecution. That you would be strengthened in the hour. Yet though the world is growing darker, you're burning brighter. You're more confident today in Christ than you were yesterday. God is good and God is great. Verse 11. This is the message we have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. He can't say this enough. It's like it's just a constant repeat. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If you love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Highlight that. Circle that. Meditate on that verse this week. Verse 18 of chapter 3. Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, we don't feel, dear friends, we don't feel guilty. We can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of the I'm sorry, we must believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledged that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person is has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. 
But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won, look at this, a victory over these people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. But we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. And where have we heard that word? I've been telling us over the past two years that the spirit of deception is rising up in the earth like we've never seen it before. And when you see the spirit of deception rise up, every other form of evil and wickedness rises up with it. And that's why you have to allow the, fan, the flame to be fanned. You have to continue to seek Christ in this day, lest you be deceived. We don't want to be those who turn away and begin to practice the, I, the teachings of demons. We must remain confident in who Christ is and not be led astray. No, we need to be firmly rooted in Christ. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Christ Jesus came to deliver us, to set the captives free. He has defeated sin and death. We cannot continue to go our way yoked with sin and claiming Christ. I know that's a popular message. Live how you want and claim Christ. That's not the gospel. He's taken away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to have love for each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He and us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face Him. Ah, look at this picture. With confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in the world. That we would have confidence on that day that we stand before our Maker. We're not shrinking back. No, we're boldly standing, waiting to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to my rest. Praise be to God. 
Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. And if we don't love people, we can see... I'm sorry, and, sorry. For if we don't love people, we can see how can God love... How can we love God, whom we cannot see? And He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And then He finally, he finally ends it with this beautiful conclusion of faith in the Son of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. That's what I keep encouraging y'all. Christians live like they're under this heavy burden. As if what Christ has commanded us is burdensome. As if the Christian life is this hard-pressed life. No. Even in times of persecution, we are considered joy. We live differently than the way of the world because we are engrafted in His kingdom. We understand because we're kingdom-minded. And look at what the Word of God is saying here. Every believer... Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. If you're finding your Christian life to be burdensome and you're longing for what is back in Egypt, something's wrong. And I would dare say you're not in Christ. And you say, well, can you prove that scripturally? Well, Jesus says, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for his kingdom. This is Jesus' words. Jesus tells these, the, 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 the crowd that was following him when he started teaching the true understanding of who he is. You must eat of my flesh. You must drink of my blood. He was teaching these spiritual principles to the crowd, to the masses, to the people that were following him. They were his disciples, the Bible calls them. And when he started teaching about spiritual things, they were like, ah, this is too hard for us to understand. What is he talking about? And what did they do? They turned and left him. They went back. And I, I've always told you when I've taught and I've preached on this, if I was writing the Bible, that's where I would have injected Jesus wept. No, no, he didn't weep then. He stood there and he watched the masses leave him because he knew the condition of their hearts. They weren't in it for him. They were in it for them. And he watched them go. And he looked at the twelve. And he said to them, are you leaving too? And their response, where can we go? You hold the words 
to eternal life? Oh, have you come to that place? Have you settled within your heart that you're not looking back any longer? That where else can I go, Lord? You hold the words to eternal life. Ah, oh, praise God. Verse 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit who is truth confirms it with His testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who do not believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them, oh, look at this picture, securely. And the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and He is eternal life. So dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that. And I read all that just to tie in Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. And did you hear that last verse? Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Go to Deuteronomy. Yes, we're not finished. I'm serving up a four-course meal today. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Don't pass out when I tell you when we're stopping, but we're going from Deuteronomy 13 to Deuteronomy 15. 
We are walking through the Bible. We're spending time in the Old Testament. We're going to have some New Testament word. We're going to have the Psalm. And we're going to have some nuggets from Proverbs. So here we go. Again, we are witnessing as we're reading how God has set aside Israel to be His special possession, to be His people among the wicked nations. He's giving them understanding on how they are to live in order to honor Him. That they would not get swayed or deterred from the nations around them. Even the way they practice worshiping their gods. There is a way in which God has called them to live. And so we're picking up. Moses is preparing this generation to enter into the promise of God. Chapter 13. Suppose there are prophets among you. And those who dream dreams about the future. And they promise you signs or miracles. And they predicted signs or miracles. And I'm sorry. And the predicted signs or miracles occur, occur. If then they say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love Him with all of your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear Him alone. Obey, here's that word again, His commands. Listen to His voice. Oh my goodness. And cling to Him. Highlight that. Circle that. Meditate on that this week. Verse 4. Serve only the Lord your God and fear Him alone. Obey His commands. Listen to His voice and cling to Him. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death. For they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God who redeemed you from slavery and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Since they tried to lead you astray from the way the I'm sorry, since they tried to lead you astray from the way the Lord your God commanded you to live, you must put them to death. In this way you will purge the evil from among you. Suppose someone secretly entices you, even your brother, your son, or daughter, your beloved wife, or your closest friend, and says, let's go worship other gods, gods that neither you know nor your ancestors have known. They might suggest that you worship the gods of people who live nearby or who, have come, or who come from the ends of the earth. But do not give in or listen. Have no pity and do not spare or protect them. You must put them to death. Strike the first blow yourself, and then all the people must join in. Stone the guilty ones to death, because they have tried to draw you away from the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. Then all Israel will hear about it and be afraid, and no one will act so wickedly again. When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, you may hear that scoundrels among you are leading their fellow citizens astray by saying, let's go worship other gods, gods you have not known before. In such cases, you must examine the facts carefully. If you find that the report is true and such detestable act has been committed among you, you must attack that town and completely destroy all its inhabitants, as well as all their livestock. Then you must pile all the plunder in the middle of the open square and burn it. Burn the entire town as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. The town must remain ruined forever. 
It may never be rebuilt. Keep none of the plunder that has been set apart for destruction. Then the Lord will turn his fierce anger and be merciful to you. He will have compassion on you and make you a large nation just as he swore to to your ancestors. The Lord your God will be merciful only if you listen to his voice and keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, doing what pleases him. God's justice is swift and right. I know people get, ooh, and they bring up the God of the Old Testament. Listen, I've told us over and over, there's no error found in God. Old Testament, New Testament. We cannot find error in Him. His justice is right. It's just. It's fair. He protects what belongs to Him. He is not going to allow wickedness to win. Evil will not win. Darkness can never extinguish light. He loves his people. And it's just like the enemy to come whispering in your ear, worship this God. Worship that. Make this an idol in your life. Did God really say, God is really not enough. This will fulfill you. This relationship would make you and, 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 and calm all your insecurities. These possessions will make you satisfied. And all along it's a lie. All along it's a lie. Now, we're not out stoning people and killing people nowadays. Praise be to God. But you know what you are called to do in this day and age? Is crucify your life to his cross. And it's the word of God that encourages us believers today that when we do that, when that old man and that old woman is nailed to his cross, our desires for the world and the world's interest in us has been done away with. We're new creations. We're not hungering for the temporalness of life to complete us. No, we are complete in Christ. And you cannot be led astray to worship this or to worship that when you're loving God with all of your heart. When Jesus has been revealed to you, Where are you going? He's enough. Moses was preparing the Israelites as they were entering in. And in that day, in that age, just what they did. They got rid of the evil one. They burned the town down. They had to. They killed the loved one. (laughs) They killed the prophet. The false prophet. God set a standard. And it had to be followed. Chapter 14. Since you are the people of the Lord your God, never cut yourselves or shave the hair above your foreheads in mourning for the dead. 
You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be His own special treasure. You must not eat any detestable animals that are ceremonially unclean. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the addicts, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may not eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. But if the animal does have both, it may not be eaten. So you may not eat the camel, the hare, or the hyrax. They chew the cud, but do not have split hooves, so they are ceremonially unclean for you. And you may not eat the pig. It has split hooves, but does not chew the cud, so it is ceremonially unclean for you. You may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. Of all the marine animals, you may eat whatever has both fins and scales. You may not eat, however, each marine animal that does I'm sorry, that do not have both fins and scales. They are ceremonially unclean for you. You may eat any bird that is ceremonially clean. These are the birds you may not eat. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon, buzzards of all kinds, ravens of all kinds, the eagle owl, the short-eared owl, the seagull, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the great owl, the barn owl, the desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the coronet, the stork, herons of all kinds, the hopo and the bat, all winged insects that walk along the ground are ceremonially unclean for you and may not be eaten, but you may eat any winged bird or insect that is ceremonially clean. You must not eat anything that has died a natural death. You may give it to a foreigner living in your town, or you may sell it to a stranger, but do not eat it yourselves, for you are set apart as holy to the Lord your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Again, if you read the book of Acts, the, the, the law for eating, God allowed from the book of Acts, I have too much to get into it now, for all to be eaten. But in this day and age, God set them aside and what they could eat and what they could not eat to set them apart. And that's the, the constant theme that you were hearing through there. They were set apart for God. And I would encourage you to go read the book of Acts with Peter and, and how God called him and um, you have to go back and, and, and read it yourselves or contact me and I'll tell you where to go read it. But again, we don't have to, we're not bound by the ceremonial laws when it comes to clean and unclean animals in our day and age. The giving of tithes. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for His name to be honored, and eat it there in His presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always, look at this, to fear the Lord your God. Now when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship He chooses for His name to be honored might be too far for you to bring your tithe. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, but the money, put the money in your pouch and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, and other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. And do not neglect the 
the Levites in your town, for they will receive no allotment of land among you. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. Are you giving to the kingdom of God? Are you giving tithes and offerings? And again, I would just point us to the book of Acts. How the church lived. They gave everything so that none in the church would go without. Are you living in a way that's kingdom-minded? Are you sowing in to the kingdom of God? At the end, chapter 15, of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives, for the Lord's time of release has arrived. This release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites, not to the foreigners living among you. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land He has given you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as He has promised. You will lend money to many nations, but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. But if there are any poor Israelites in your town... When you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone of a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with the other Israelites in need. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or, I'm sorry, sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord our your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family, and he, does, and he has done well with you. In that case, take it all and push it through his earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life and do the same for your female servants. You must not consider it a hardship when you release your servants. Remember for the... Remember that for six years they have given you services worth double the wages of hired workers, and the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. You must not, you, I'm sorry, you must set aside for the Lord your God all the firstborn males from your flocks and herds. Do not use the firstborn of your herds to work your fields, and do not shear 
um, the firstborn of your flocks. Instead, you and your families must eat these animals in the presence of the Lord your God each year at the place he chooses. But if the firstborn animal has any defect, such as lameness or blindness, or if anything else is wrong with it, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Instead, use it for food for your family in your hometown. Anyone, whether, whether ceremony or clean or unclean, may eat it, just as anyone may eat a gazelle or deer. But you must not consume the blood. You must pour it on the ground like water. Oh, that we would truly see God for who He is, you all. That is my hope as we're walking through Scripture, is that we will see God for who He is. How we, we, we see Him from the beginning all the way through to the book of Revelation. He's God. He's God. He cares for His people. And in return, He calls His people to care for others. As it was then, so it is now. We should be giving generously to the poor. We should be serving others. We should be loving others. Do we just not hear this in 1 John? We should be obeying His commandments. They're not legalistic requirements. No, they're life-giving requirements. A life of freedom. Not a life enslaved to religious works, but a life of freedom that is found only in a risen Savior. The hope that, that we find in Christ. And that hope in Christ will never disappoint us. God was preparing His people. And as I was studying this week and preparing for this, it fascinates me that these laws, if you would, for releasing um, the... the um, what we just released from debtors, releasing the dead, doing all of that. They say that Israel actually never followed that. But I say as I was studying and reading, Israel did a lot of things that they weren't supposed to do. I mean, they turned against God. We see that they end up going their own way. But don't point your crooked finger at them. <laughs> point it at yourself. Oh, I pray that we wouldn't be like that. I pray that we wouldn't just go about our day-to-day -day lives just slapping Jesus' name on us and this living however we want. No, no, no. This life in Christ is a life that God has ordained. And we ought to be honoring Him with this life. We ought to be seeking Him. We ought to be loving Him. We ought to be honoring Him. And we're set apart for Him. Do you have that knowledge when you get up every morning? Do you go about your days thinking of Christ? Do you go about your days trusting in Christ? Do you get up thinking of Christ before you think of yourself? Before you go to, to do for you, are you first thinking of others like come on you all there is a way in which we are called to live and it's the way of the Lord go to Luke chapter 8 we're only reading verse 40 through chapter 9 verse 6 Luke chapter 8 verse 40 
and chapter 9, verse 6. And here we go. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus. Remember this town, last week, the town told Jesus to move on. They didn't want him here. So on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. The man named Jairus, the leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, No, no, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could, that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell on her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Oh, I love Jesus' response. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Oh, you all, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. First of all, we've talked a few weeks ago about this period in time when women were basically the least of the least. <laughs> they didn't have position or clout in society. Much less she's a woman who has an issue of blood, <laughs> which made her unclean. <laughs> she had to be put out. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go worship. She couldn't be around family. She couldn't be around anyone. She was an outcast. She was unclean. And what is she doing in the middle of that crowd? Her faith equipped her to reach out. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't reprimand her. He called her daughter. I'm sure when the others were listening to her story, they were like, she touched up against me. She's unclean. Ah, oh, but Jesus looked beyond the customs of the day and he saw the need. He saw the woman. He saw his daughter. She was healed instantly because she reached out. Her faith has made her well. Now go in peace. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. But Jesus, we're on our way to a dying young girl. Oh, what are you doing stopping? While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. 
and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only sleeping or asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up! And at that moment her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Oh, they didn't need to really tell anyone because everyone witnessed it. She was lifeless. She was dead. But Jesus spoke. And life came forth. Healing came forth. Wholeness came forth. Oh, what he has done then, he still does today, you all. Oh, I pray that our faith would increase in these troublesome times that we're in. Chapter 9, going to verse 6. One day Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to everyone. I'm sorry. He sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they begin their circuit of villages preaching the good news and healing the sick. Ah, praise be to God. What a beautiful picture of multiplication. Ah, Jesus is in the business of multiplication. His kingdom. Advancing it. The word of God, the gospel being preached. As before he ascended into heaven, he gave the marching orders. And as it was then, so it is for us today. To go in through all the world. <laughs> to preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all of His commandments. Oh, that we would do what we have been charged to do. To go forth and declare the good news. Are you preaching the good news? Are you preaching the gospel? We've got to get back to being about our Father's business. Oh, we ought to be excited for what Christ is doing. And we've got to be attentive to the day and age in which we are living. And that's why I love when the Bible says, when He gives the description that all hell's hitting the earth, there's such trouble, there's such chaos, there's such confusion, but do you remember what Scripture says? But the gospel will be preached throughout the earth. 
and all of the trying times and all of the chaos and all of the clamor and all of all the perversion and all of the deception but the gospel will be preached throughout the earth darkness is not going to hinder the commandment of the lord we will march forward we will march onward we will be about our father's business if you are in christ you have a purpose And it's not to satisfy your temporal desires on this earth. Get over yourself and get into Christ and realize what the Bible says. He's prepared good works for us to do to advance His kingdom for His glory. Let's go to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. And I have been encouraging you all in the book of Psalms as we're in it. Look up. These psalmists were just Average men. And you say, but I'm almost King David. Yeah, but he's man. (laughs) And I love their vulnerability. I love their openness. I love their transparency. And one thing I've learned throughout my years with Christ, in order to maintain freedom, remain transparent. First before Christ, and then before man. You've got nothing to hide. Do not let sin master you. No, you are to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Stop trying to live up to satisfy man's ideal of you. No, you live up to Christ and Christ alone. Serve Christ and Christ alone. I love that these psalmists are transparent. They know their God, but they are enduring life. They are enduring hardship. But even in the midst of their chaos, they look up. They know their God. And oh, what a sweet psalm we have today. Oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me and rescue me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me and set me free. Be my rock of safety where I can always hide. Give the order to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. My God rescues me from the power of the wicked, from the clutches of cruel oppressors. O Lord, you alone are my hope. I trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. Yes, you have been with me from birth. From my mother's womb, you have cared for me. No wonder I am always praising you. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. I am now in my old age. Don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. For my enemies are whispering against me. They are plotting together to kill me. They say God has abandoned him. Let's go and get him for no one will help him now. Oh God, do not stay away. My God, please hurry to help me. Bring disgrace and destruction on my accusers. Humiliate and shame those who want to harm me. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. 
all day long I will proclaim your saving power. Though I am not skilled with words, I will praise your mighty deeds, O Sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest of heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me even greater, even greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with music on the harp because you are faithful to your promises, O God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre and O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises for you have ransomed me. I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long for everyone who tried to hurt me has been shamed and humiliated. Oh, praise be to God, you all. Amen. Can we not just find joy in the Lord? No matter what our circumstances are, are you praising Him through it? Trials will come. Disappointments will come. Betrayal will come. In this life, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Anxiety, depression, sickness, chaos, confusion, disorder will come. But we must remember that Christ has already overcame it all. And we will do best to call upon the name of the Lord to praise Him even in the midst of the valley. Remember, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, yea, though I pitch a, pitch a tent and I sit in it. No, no, no. You don't sit in the valley. You walk through it. And He will prepare a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. And I've shared a while ago, when I was meditating on that, But God, why do I want want that table in the midst of my enemies? No, deal with the enemies. And God says, no, no, my son, I need you to sit down and be calm. Let me display my power through my peace in you while your enemies surround you. Now sit and feast. And the natural, that wouldn't make sense. But in the spirit, oh, it makes perfect sense. Scream, taunt, jab, poke. But you're not greater than my God. I will take my place at the table in which he has prepared for me. And I will feast with my king. And my eyes will not be set on my enemies. My eyes will gaze upon him who loves me. Who is my protector. Who is my shield. Who is my comfort. My strong tower. Do you know your God? Do you know Him? Oh, I pray that you would be encouraged today to know your God. 
so that when trials come, that they will produce what they're meant for your life. Perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. I've told you over and over, the issue with the church today is that we give up too quickly. The wind blows against us and we crumble. Oh, God. Oh. Would you just learn to stand? (laughs) Would you just learn to persevere through sickness, through poverty, through chaos, through confusion, through panic, through anxiety, through insecurity, whatever it is, will you just persevere and know your God? Because when you know Him, you're trusting. Come what may, Father, I'm taking another step forward. God, all this stuff can just be shaking all around me, but God, I'm taking a step forward. I'm advancing your kingdom for you are good, you are right, you are true. You're my God. You're my king. Remember, darkness will never extinguish the light. Go to Proverbs chapter 12. Three nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5 through 7. is where we're ending. Thank you, Father. The plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. But the words of the godly save lives. The wicked die and disappear. But the family of the godly stands firm. Remember... There's only two types of people. Those who've been saved or those who are perishing. Those who are righteous, those who are wicked. Oh, may you be counted among the righteous. And listen, righteous one. Be mindful not to give ear to the wicked. Do not be swayed by the wicked. Don't look longingly on the wicked. (laughs) Because the only outcome for the wicked is destruction. Oh, it may all look right now, but in the end, it's destruction. Let's close in worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Yes, I mean. 